The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, there, and, and other amazing people Welcome sharing their stories of, of what, what women makes them who they are. Want and now, here is our own I wonderful really appreciate with questions, support, and I'm not John, asking for dollars or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. To over to Hi there, Catsuit! Or to Spotify, and leave us a rating or review. It would really help us a lot, and we'd love to know how well we're doing in connecting with you our cherished audience. And today, we have an amazing Dom who calls herself part-time doll handler, all the time latex lover, and a kink educator. Miss Vivian Darkbloom is a lifestyle and semi-pro Dom who has been active in Boston and the international fetish BDSM scene for 15 years. Her interests and expertise include impact play, power exchange, submissive training, doll handling, bondage, fetish exploration, role play, and psychological kink. Miss Viv is a member of the Boston Latex Circle and enjoys regular shiny time with her fellow rubberists. She has presented classes at KinkyCon, New England Fetish Flea, FetishCon, and Dom Trips, and she regularly attends fetish events including Fetish Factory. Plunge, German Fetish Ball, and Vancouver Fetish Weekend, as well as impact parties in New York City. Vivian is multi-talented as she is also a circus aerialist who trains on silks, rope, and lira. Miss Vivian Darkbloom on what women and other wonderful humans want. questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five, and it starts now. First time you donned a piece of rubber, and how did it make you feel? Yes, this is a very uh, stark first in my fetish journey. Uh, I have a very dear friend. Her name is Goddess Deanna. And when I met her about 15 years ago, uh, she expressed to me that she thought I was very pretty and uh, liked my dominance. And she wanted to help sculpt and mold and mentor me. And she came on pretty strong. And I was like, who is this? Who is this woman? But uh turned out that she is, you know, an internationally known dominatrix and fetish model and rubberist. So we happen to be about the same size. And uh, one night at her play space where I'm sitting right now, actually, uh, she put me in some rubber. And I think that I, I had always been kind of a leather person. I think leather was a big entry point for many of us uh, in the kink scene. So I had seen rubber and been really curious about it. Uh, and she let me borrow a dress and she dressed me all up and said, and now you need a belt and now you need this. And so I think she put me in a dress at first uh, and I loved it. I loved how powerful I felt. I loved how tactile and sensual it was. Uh, I really loved all the attention that I got 
from uh, everyone. And, and that started quite the addiction. So uh, now being a rubberist is definitely a way that I define myself. So that was a very impactful move uh, by my dear friend uh, to put me in that dress so many years ago. First time you had an indication that you might be kinky. Oh boy. Wow. So I think it's important to know about me. Once you get to know me, you'll learn that I'm from a very long line of strong-willed and powerful women. Uh, the women in my family are pretty bossy uh, and opinionated and powerful and really run the show uh, at home. And the men tend to be more meek. So I don't know. <laughs> I felt like this uh, female dominance especially was kind of a mode that I felt very comfortable in. That was how I enjoyed relating to men especially uh, but also just kind of being tapped into the divine, the divine feminine. So, you know, I feel like there was that element of DS and that, that female led relationship element from the beginning. Uh, when I started being sexual, uh, I feel like that translated into my, into my sexuality where I was immediately, um, drawn to things like bondage and wanted to be the aggressor, uh, which was very well received <laughs> in my in my career. So I think that that exploration really started, you know, just kind of how relationships in my life were modeled uh, and then expanded from there. I also very much remember having a very rich fantasy life and always loving dressing up. So I had a cousin that was about the same age as me and she and I would get very dressed up in these elaborate costumes and make up these scenes and these mini plays, if you will. And this would entertain us for hours on, on end. So I feel like the dressing up, the scene construction, the bossiness, the need for control all, all kind of came together to make me obviously kinky. Do you remember the first time you hit someone with an implement in a session. What was the implement and what brought on the session? Oh, so this is really interesting. And I tell this story a lot, but when I was in high school, I had a friend uh, who was a, a male friend and it was clear to me that he had a crush on me, even though he didn't say anything. And I wasn't super interested in him as anything else as a friend, but he was very doting and he would pick me up and drive me to school and he would take me to the beach and we would, you know, go get food together and he'd pay and we'd spend a lot of time together and we had mutual friends too. So we'd hang out with our mutual friends. And then I remember one day uh, we were going to go to the beach and he was in my room. We were in my room and I was packing a bag and getting ready to go to the beach. And I'm like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and then we can go. And he's like, OK. So I go to the bathroom and I'm about halfway down the hall. And I remember that I wanted to bring my hairbrush because I wanted to put my hair up. Right. So I go back into my room. And I find this boy rifling through the dirty laundry on my floor. And in particular, he has a pair of my panties in his hand. And I was so enraged in the moment. I was like, what are you doing? And I got very angry in the moment. And I remember he had this like, he was tall and he had this wavy shock of like light brown hair. And I just remember like grabbing him by his hair and grabbing my hairbrush and kind of throwing him on the bed and being like, how dare you? And hitting him on the ass with my hairbrush and feeling this like rage, but, you know, very much power, like, fuck this guy. I'm going to teach him a lesson and whacked him with my hairbrush a few times. Uh, and he was like nervously laughing and. Then I, my rage subsided a little bit and I was like, that's not cool. Like, you can't do that. And he was like, I'm sorry. And then, you know, I was like, okay. And then I went to the bathroom, I brushed my hair, I put it up. He took me to the beach. 
I don't think we ever spoke of it again, but he was much <laughs> well behaved, uh, much better behaved after that incident for sure. Does that count? It's not really a session, or but yeah, it counts. That is one of the best stories I've heard when I ask a question somewhat like this. So I absolutely adore it. Yeah, I think I was about 16 at the time. I was very young, a little baby dom. If he knew now what he could have known back then. <laughs> really funny, he awoken something in me, some primal feminine rage. First time you stood in front of a class to teach and your emotions going through that. Wow. Okay. This is going back a while. I would have to say that it was at the New England Fetish Flea, which is now not an organization or an event anymore, but it must have been hmm, maybe like eight years ago maybe longer, where I taught a class on caning and specifically bastinado. This is a, a favorite torture of mine to cane the bottom of one's feet, known as bastinado. Uh, and I remember, uh, as is my nature, I overprepped. So I had an extensive syllabus. I brought many, many canes. I interviewed other uh, instructors about best practices for running a class. And uh, still, even though I was confident in my skills and I was confident having presented some non-fetish related content in my day, was very nervous. I had major imposter syndrome. I had already been a pro-dom for a while, um, but I had like this imposter syndrome. I think that event was also very it was run by men, male doms specifically. There was a lot of male presenters. And I think that I recognized that and wanted to present, you know? I, I think Midori was presenting that year. And I was like, I'm presenting at the same event that Midori is. And I was super, super jazzed about that. But yeah, like when you go to Midori's class and see how wonderful she is, it feels a little bit like, you know, you're an imposter. But I remember I did the class and I broke it up. I had maybe half of the time to be instruction and demo and a safety discussion. And then the classes were something like 90 minutes long or something. So I think I did in three parts, like 30 minutes instruction and demo, 30 minutes kind of like a workshop where I walked around and watched people and went, oh, this area, not that, that area. And then 30 minutes of just chaos and like answering, <laughs> letting people play, letting people use my canes. Uh, and I remember they give you the feedback forms after those events. And I got like amazing reviews and people said really nice things about my class. So, so that kind of emboldened me to uh, present more and do different events. Uh, presented at the New England Fetish Flea a few times um, at KinkyCon, where I think that's where I met you uh, a few years ago. Actually, uh, that would not have been there because I no? have never been to KinkyCon. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, not KinkyCon. Um, FetishCon, the one that's in St. Petersburg, Florida. Which would have been last year is the only time I went. Uh, all right. Well, I presented there a few years ago. Uh, and <laughs> do, then, I have, oh, do I have a look that brings to mind someone? It's, uh, you know, so many events blurring together, uh, meeting so many people. That's definitely a thing. And then I'm very excited to present at Tethered Together uh, in next weekend, two yes. weekends from now. Yeah, March 3rd through 6th, I'll be at Tether together. And there I'm presenting a class on dolls, dollification, and doll handling. We are definitely going to talk more about that. Yeah. It's final, gonna be final question in the first five. Because I saw this picture and I was going, oh my gosh, what she must be feeling right now. First time you ever met Dita Von Teese. Oh my goodness. So I recently met Dita Vontis and this was such an incredible experience. Uh, this was my birthday treat to myself. I just turned 45 years old 
and I bought myself tickets to Dita's show. I have seen her previously, but I got tickets and I sprung for this meet and greet that you can do with Dita. So <laughs> it's after the show. The show completely blew my mind. I was having an aneurysm. I was in the front row. Thanks to my friend, Goddess Tiana again, comes through with the most amazing tickets. Uh, so the whole show, my face was just melting because I was so close to those boots, you know, those Louboutin boots with the crystal embellishments and all the costumes. And each performer was amazing. So I was already in a very heightened state, right? And so then they, they cue you up for this meet and greet and you get to meet her and take a photo with her. And she's just this vision. She is perfection. Uh, she was in this glittery silver cape and gown. Uh, and not, you know, she just did a two hour show, not a hair is out of place, not a bead of sweat on her. She looks completely airbrushed and perfect. Uh, she's super sweet. She loved that we all went to the show in latex. Uh, she commented on our latex. She said, oh, I love your latex. We can't have it in the show. It's too slippery and fussy. And I'm like, I know, that's a shame. She's like, but I love it. They thanked us for getting dressed up and turning out. So that was really nice. Uh, and I got a, a few pictures with her. Uh, and I think there was lube on my camera lens, unfortunately, <laughs> because they're ever so slightly blurry, but it gives you this very dreamy quality. And that's about how I was feeling very much on cloud nine. That was that was a great birthday gift. Having been in television for as many years as I have, that would be called the Barbara Walters filter. Ah, uh, Yes, the soft filter. Because back in the days before you could just do it in post, they would actually put Vaseline on the lens. I've heard about that. <laughs> we well, have much... Flawless, so there you go. We have much more to come with Ms. Vivian Darkbloom when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur of the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. The Heart of the Dominatrix, Portraits and Interviews of Exceptional Mistresses. This book is about female domination. This book is about dark corners, both physically and psychologically. This book is for you, whether you're a beginner or have decades of experience with BDSM. If you're eager to learn more about power exchange dynamics or are simply interested in relationships and the aesthetics of this world. This book will change your perspectives. Be warned. Visit heartofthedominatrix.com to order your copy today. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? <laughs> or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, <laughs> uh, but lots of solid BDSM and kink information written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. Kink for the Curious, a BDSM activity book for beginners written 
by Princessa Natasha Strange, and that's me, <laughs> is available on Amazon. Go get it now. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at www.podcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy, as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the program. Joined from Boston by Ms. Vivian Darkbloom. Boston always been your home, or is that a place you moved to? Right. No, Boston has not always been my home. I'm actually from New York. I grew up on Long Island, and about 20 years ago, I moved to Boston. Uh, I have a sister who had two wonderful children. And I wanted to be closer to my niece and my nephew. I knew they needed their queer auntie in their life to make sure that they didn't grow up Republican. So <laughs> I moved here and spent a lot of quality time uh, with the little ones. And they are now adults, uh, which is wild. Time really flies. But New York has always been my home of my heart. I feel very much displaced here in Boston uh, and love to make it down to New York to see my friends, my friends uh, in the fetish tribe and go to events down there uh, and also Chris Mack and go to some of his events. Uh, they have a very rich uh, fetish culture down there. So it's nice to pop down there and, and see everybody. You mentioned in the first five, your entree into rubber. Obviously, that was the genesis what kept it developing? Rubber is definitely a fetish for me. So I, when I first slipped into that dress that my friend put me in, I definitely felt something awaken in me where it was just this undeniable force. I was said to myself, I want to do this all the time. I want to wear rubber all the time. So I started investing in pieces uh, I was really lucky to get hooked up with a designer that at the time was just starting out, but very talented. And I got a lot of custom pieces. And so I think the custom pieces really solidified my love of rubber where uh, it just fit so nicely. There was none of that struggle. It was exactly the designs that I wanted. Uh, and then it, and then it became very addictive. And it's evolved for me, for sure. I think I started wearing separates and dresses. And then as time has gone by, I've just gotten more into total enclosure and catsuits and gloves and footy socks and hoods, especially. So I'm getting pretty weird and creepy at this phase of my kink journey where I like mouthless hoods and eyeless hoods and really restrictive things um, to kind of present myself as this creature, right? It's fun to top like that. It's fun to dom in that state where I feel really much like a creature demon and I can disassociate a little bit and be a little bit more sadistic. So my relationship with rubber has really evolved. 
but uh, it's definitely something that's just an undeniable fetish for me. The total enclosure and wearing of hoods does bring an otherworldly piece to the puzzle. Describe your feeling when you are lost inside your rubber. Hmm. When I'm lost inside my rubber, I think I definitely tap into some of my primal power. And I think that this whole notion of kind of selfishness comes into account because I feel very much like I'm not a dom, I'm genderless, I'm not a human, I'm like an entity, right? So that makes me a little more forceful. I think it tempts down my empathy a little bit, so I'm able to be a little bit more sadistic. Normally, I'm a very loving and nurturing and maternal type of dom, and I feel like when I put on my rubber and especially the hoods, I can go into a little bit of a different headspace and deliver something that's a little bit more severe, a little less empathetic, uh, a little more demonic. And that could be fun. It's really fun when you have trust with someone and you can go to that darker place a little bit and splash around in that pool a little while and see what happens and then come back and, and connect and talk about it and be like, I didn't like that. That was scary. Or, that was really hot. I want to do more. So I think that for me, being able to switch my headspace and give myself permission to be a little bit edgier uh, is something that I enjoy. And I feel like especially taking away um, my face and and with a hood helps me to get there. With a name like Hi There Catsuit, you can imagine that I like catsuits. And I've... I have my own latex catsuit. It just doesn't fit very well. The old the old problem that a lot of people have when they get their first catsuit. But I have been privileged enough to be dressed in some amazing catsuits. And the thing that I love to share with people who love catsuits like you do is the fact that I believe catsuits are the ultimate mindfulness exercise. At any one time, you can feel the material caressing the top of your shoulder and realize it's caressing the back of your thigh and then your nipple and then the bottom of your feet. And then suddenly it just becomes this mind-blowing, overwhelming joy and last week, I got to add a vac bed to that whole experience. Very fun. Do you ever find yourself when you are in your outfits, just feeling like there's nothing that can stop you, like it is an absolute armor for you that nothing can get to you? I do, especially with cat suits. I, I oftentimes call my cat suit my play suit because I like to wear pants when I'm playing something with legs, right? Because I'm bending and I'm moving. And I love that a cat suit can be just like a one piece. You have an outfit, right? You put on the cat suit, you feel invincible. It's like this wonderful fetish onesie. You can do whatever you need to do. Uh, so yes, I definitely do feel invincible when I'm wearing my cat suit. I find that I really like that coverage too. I think there's something really sexy about being all covered up, but having it be so form fitting that it's especially sexy. Um, I love adding corsets to really accentuate that. Uh, and you're right, it caresses all the different parts of your body and hold things in and gives you support and feels like a hug. And I think especially um, for me as a dom, as a femme identifying person, it feels like protection. 
I don't have to worry about someone touching me. I, I have a really big problem with people who touch me, especially at parties uh, without consent. Uh, I have some friends that know that they can come and give me a hug, or if I see someone I know, I'll I'll offer a hug. But when random strangers come up and touch me, I really dislike that. And when I have a cat suit on, I feel like I have that layer of protection. Like they're touching me, they're not touching my skin though, and it feels less like a violation. Uh, and I often say like, hey, can you ask, please, if if you want to touch me, especially when you're wearing expensive rubber, like I don't want randos pawing at my expensive rubber. I have that Vinoir catsuit, which is like my prized possession. And I put people around me so that people won't touch me when I'm wearing it because I don't want their greasy little paws on me. So, yeah, I think there's some like figurative how it makes you feel and the power it inspires but also actually that barrier is something that feels like armor for me. You and I were talking before we started recording about some amazing people that we both know. Uh, one in particular, Jean Bardot, who I just think the world of. And you also mentioned Damazonia, who was a recent uh, guest on the podcast. Is there anybody that when you see them in rubber, you just get a super crush on? This list is so long. <laughs> I have such a long list of people who I am just completely enamored with uh, when it comes to rubber. Uh, I really love Miss Pervology, also in Vancouver, over there at Deadly Fetish and Deadly Couture. Her looks are just incredible. She's an incredibly nice, wonderful person. Uh, she has about three or four different Instagram accounts where she is doing her natural, transnatural latex and her regular account and everything, every picture that she creates is just so entrancing to me. I love the way that she combines all of her different pieces. Um, I mentioned uh, Vinoir who made my beautiful uh, purple and black um, cat suit. She is an Italian designer. Her name is Verna. And I had the pleasure of meeting her and spending time with her at Berlin Fetish Ball. And I've been eyeing her pieces for forever. Uh, and so I got that cat suit from her. And then I also ordered a bodysuit that I'm really excited about. But her latex is incredible and she is so beautiful. She's really tall and has these super long legs. So every time she's in one of these amazing ball gowns or one of these split skirts with her long legs, it's just amazing to me. Um, I feel like uh, there's so many other people. I'm trying to think of some men that I really enjoy in their rubber. Uh, I have a friend in Germany, uh, T.E. Stone. Uh, and he posts amazing pictures and lots of cat suits, hoods, and gloves, and always comments on me when I'm wearing a cat suit, but not gloves. He'll be like, Where are your gloves? And it's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> I think it's really cute how the latex community goads each other on and be like, More, more rubber. Yes, buy that thing. And it's really fun to be part of this community. Um, I love it when you can go out and see people. Uh, in rubber and you're immediately friends like oh you're wearing a cat suit I'm wearing a cat suit let's be friends and I love that so that's one of the wonderful things about the latex community I could go on and on but we could leave it at those three I'm going to transition to the fact that you're teaching and you call yourself a doll handler I sometimes associate dolls with latex cat suits or spandex cat suits, or anything that dehumanizes someone. Talk to me about dollification, because I haven't experienced it, but I've been very interested in it. Yes, dollification, dolls, doll play, doll handling, all of this has been a theme in my life even before fetish. Uh, and I think this is really interesting. My grandfather used to call me doll. Hmm. He used to call my sister doll. 
hey doll. And my father calls me doll as well, still to this day. And some of my female friends, which I think is really cute. <laughs> uh, so I think this concept of like the pretty doll being cared for and nurtured and loved is something that's really familial for me and feels like safe and pretty. Um, then you add my love of dressing up and how do you play with dolls? You know, you, you dress them up in pretty outfits, you make them do things. So I think that when I was a child, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I was super into Barbies and all the different outfits for them, but would like cut up the clothes and make them different and everything, cut their hair, much to my mother's chagrin, but um, (laughs) hey, they were my dolls. And then um, when I started to explore fetish uh, and get more kinky and I met goddess Deanna, she started calling me doll. And I was like, wow, like she knows I'm a doll. Great. And so she started to dress me up and um, give me clothes and we would share clothes and both get dolled up and play with each other. And uh, Gostiana is a wonderful dom. I am a proud switch. So I love to play with women uh, and do bottomy things with, with my other doms and other women. Um, so she would play with me as her doll and sometimes do rope with me or, you know, other things that girls do when they're playing with each other. Right. (laughs) Uh, and that was really fun. And I I liked being that in that passive state and being like flopped around a little bit. Uh, and then I started to find more of a top space around dolls and dolling and doll handling specifically. So I have kind of a persona where I am a doll, but I'm like a possessed sadistic doll. And it's a little bit separate from like the rubber creature we were talking about, which also could definitely be a doll. But this one is more kind of like a cutesy doll with this contrast of being like playful and sadistic. So I kind of found that persona And was playing like that for a while as a top. And I'm like, God, that's really interesting. That's a fun place to go. And then, you know, I I started to evolve even further. And this whole idea of like collecting and assembling the most beautiful dolls in the world. This is kind of like a passion of mine. Like I want to collect all the most beautiful dolls and have them be, you know, in my dollhouse and play with them and dress them and buy them pretty clothes uh, and command them to do my kinky bidding, right? So uh, I started to to pursue this as a top. So I am dating a wonderful doll that lives in Montreal, Canada. Her name is Jay. You might know her online as FemAnimate. So you can find her on Instagram and Twitter. And she is very much a person that identifies as a doll. And when I met her and I started talking to her, we started to explore this whole idea of dolls and doll handling and doll play and what that meant. Uh, So we really have a shared love of getting dressed up. And then the play that we engage in can um, revolve around a little bit of commanding and you tell your doll what to do and when to do it. They take a little bit more of a passive role. You know, sometimes the doll comes to life and has an opinion and there's a bit of a power struggle there uh, and we roll with it and and it's very fun. So uh, I feel like I have my eyes on some other dolls to conquer. I really do have this vision of like putting them all together uh, and kind of rolling in with like my troop of beautiful dolls and all just being pretty and perfect and a little disassociated and and having a lot of fun together. That sounds amazing. Doesn't it? Like who doesn't <laughs> want that? I've often pictured myself and I haven't gotten a chance to do it, but to be led around a convention basically as a doll. Basically as I walk wherever they tell me to do and I don't make any no emotion no nothing and to me that seems like it would be a wonderful mindfulness exercise if nothing else 
For sure. I think what's really liberating about being a doll is that you have one job and that's just follow the leader, right? You don't have to brain too hard. You don't have to make any decisions. You're told what to do. You have someone that you trust caring for all your needs and keeping you safe. And that can be really relaxing and really liberating. It's definitely mindfulness. You're just sitting with that one task just to listen and obey and then going about your pretty little merry life with your one brain cell. I'm going to transition over to a line that I read in your bio as we introduced you. And it just kind of made me laugh. A lifestyle and semi-pro-dom. <laughs> I've never heard of a semi-pro-dom. Does that mean that you're not a semi-pro because you know what you're doing, but is it just the opportunity to be able to open yourself up to the relationships that you want when you want them? Yeah, I think this has multiple interpretations. So I only make myself available for sessions on a part-time basis. I have always had a career. Uh, so I have an entire professional career outside of fetish. Uh, and that makes it really challenging to exist. You know, pro-doming takes a lot of work and time and energy and I'm taking classes and I'm scheduling meetups and I'm talking to people and I'm doing screening and I'm planning scenes and I'm in the space and I'm doing the play. Uh, and then I have a full-time career. So I say semi-pro because I'm only doing this part of the time. But yes, I definitely identify, even when I'm doing pro work, there has to be DS. I prioritize people who want to visit me, who identify as submissive and really want to get into power exchange. I will see, you know, a fetishist here and there. If there's someone that I enjoy, I will definitely uh, see someone if they're more of a bottom, if their play interests align and they're like really masochistic or something, but it kind of loses its touch for me if there's not power exchange in DS. So I definitely uh, feel like I'm a lifestyle dom that does sessions and I'm a dom that has another facet of their life that commands a lot of attention. So that's kind of where semi-pro comes from. Great explanation and it totally makes sense. And the thing that I love about you taking sessions part-time is that you get to pick and choose the things that make you happy because so many of the times, and I realize that in a transactional role, it's a little bit different, but so many of the times people look at others as dispensers or look at, <laughs> I'm going to open up the menu and I want this, 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 and this, and this. When in actuality, if they open up their minds, the experience is so much more intense and beautiful. For sure. And as I've been doing this for over a decade as a semi-pro dom, I have built some relationships that have endured. I have clients that have been seeing me for years. So those relationships have really evolved and I've seen them through evolutions in their own relationship to BDSM and DS. And I've seen people really blossom and come out. And I've met submissives that maybe thought they were more bottoms, but turned out to be subs and nurtured some of that. So that's been really beautiful to see. Uh, and I definitely enjoy the fact that I can step away from this if I need to. My own personal relationship with kink and BDSM is super important to me. I love to play. I love to do BDSM in my personal relationships. So in order to have a healthy relationship with kink, I can't get oversaturated. And there is this, uh, you know, I am providing service uh, for sure. And I don't make any sort of distinctions about that, that I'm, I'm not providing a service. But too much catering to others' needs 
even when you're accepting sessions that align with your interests, it's still time and energy, right? So I need to balance my time and my energy and make sure that I'm saving some of that kinky goodness for myself and my relationships. You mentioned bottom and submissive. Where's the line? Where do you go from being a bottom to being a submissive? Yeah, I think this is a very nuanced notion, right? So I think that there are many bottoms that are very well behaved and follow instructions and are super respectful, uh, but maybe they don't feel the DS in their hearts, right? So I think that this can come out in some of the details uh, maybe a bottom would be happy to slip into a subspace and a scene and be very compliant. But then once the scene is over and you've done some aftercare, you know, will they get you a drink or will they rub your feet or will they kiss your boots? Right. So I think there's this um, intention after the play is completed or before the play or in more of like, I talk about like the wave and the arc, right? So the wave is like the activities that are happening. So we're spanking, we're not spanking, uh, we're doing a caning scene, we're done with that. And then the arc is kind of like the overarching dynamic between the two. So maybe when the intensity of the wave is is very high, they're getting that spanking, they're feeling endorphins, they might be acting like a submissive, but once that kind of levels out, you know, they're back to wanting their own autonomy and having opinions or maybe pushing back on things a little bit or just wanting more parody. And I enjoy playing with both. I want to make the distinction very clear. I think as long as there are well-defined boundaries and mutual interests that you can have a great time playing and take someone on that journey through endorphins and sensations and all of that. Uh, but I think the submissives exhibit a little bit more care and attention outside of play, maybe even outside of the scene or the session in general, where they'll check on you, they'll offer service and things like that. So. That would be the distinction that I've observed. Uh, but I think it's hard to know unless you get into uh, the person's heart and mind exactly how they feel. When you go into sessions, you have on your bio that you love impact play and bondage. Bondage can have such a wide definition. Yeah. What is yours? Wow. I like it all. I like rope. I, I would say that I'm, Miss Jean says that she's just okay at rope. And I would say I'm just okay at rope too. Uh, I think she undersells herself, but uh, I strive to learn more. Rope is very much like a language. So when I present at Tethered Together uh, in two weekends, I'm also excited to take some classes there and learn more skills around that. Uh, but I really do love it all. Body bags, cuffs, Restraints, chains, straps. Um, what else? Bondage furniture. I'm looking around. We have a CBT chair in my play space that I share with Goddess Deanna. And that's amazing steel chair with all sorts of straps. So zip ties, um, mummification with plastic wrap. Like I like all sorts of bondage. And I love adding layers of bondage. So it might start with just some rope on your body or it might start with cuffs and then you add more straps and then you add more rope or you add, you know, layers and layers of bondage and it really ups the intensity and, and prolongs the excitement. So that's that's my approach to bondage. Be still my heart. You like that? <laughs> Oh, I dream of things like that. Believe me. You mentioned Tethered Together. We will talk a little bit about that and about the educational life of Miss Vivian Darkbloom when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Hi, Don. 
Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor, and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife, the practical contract guide, relationship short shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. Have you ever dreamed of a house that is kink-friendly in every room? Have you ever wanted a getaway where your every desire is contained within steps? In Cincinnati, Ohio, the Wanton Sinners B&B is now open. Two kink-equipped bedrooms, a fully-equipped basement dungeon, and a living room with cages and restraint points throughout and you can leave your toy bag at home because every space comes with plenty of toys and restraints. Visit Wanton Sinners on FET and follow the links to the Airbnb and Verbo listings. The Wanton Sinners B&B in Cincinnati, where your dreams have a home. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Hi there, I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on what women and other wonderful humans want. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the show, everyone. I am joined by Miss Vivian Darkbloom, who is going to be appearing in early March, first weekend of March, at Tethered Together to do one of the things you love to do the most, and that's teach. Have you had a recent instance of somebody who's taken one of your classes and said, you've changed my life? Wow. Life-changing teaching experiences. I think that sometimes these stories might take a few years to come out uh, because I think when you're having a life-changing moment, you may not know it at the time, right? Uh, but I do remember a long time ago, I taught one of my favorite classes, caning and bastinado at the fetish flea and it was a very popular class. Uh, it was one of, I think this was maybe the second time I presented that class. They asked me to come back the following year and present that class. And I remember that um, I had someone approach me many years later who mentioned this class to me and this whole experience with caning and said that they were with a partner at the time and they were very new and they were just exploring kink together. And that so many things that I had said during that class really helped to frame their own personal ethos around BDSM and around kink. And I think that these events where we teach are fantastic for that because I think that there's a lot of very um, unrealistic representations of BDSM in porn or in media. And to go to an educational event and have watch someone negotiate or watch someone give a safety presentation, especially with something as severe as a cane, you need to have a little bit of a safety conversation. To watch someone play with someone real time in a not highly sexualized environment 
and see that back and forth of energy and that checking in, like, are you okay? Do you want more? Maybe let's take a break. And those type of cues really help people to do kink safely and compassionately and lovingly with their partners. So I remember that this this man of this couple came up to me many years later and was stopped me and was like, oh, we took your caning class and it was something that really taught us so much and you were a great presenter and to see you interact with your bottom, you were both great. So I think that it was less maybe about the technical instruction and more about the mood and, and the ethos that I approached play uh, that really uh, seemed to make an impact on them. So I always love it when people either message me or stop me and tell me that they enjoyed my classes. That's a great feeling. You mentioned compassion and love. And so many times the world thinks of kinky sex and thinks that every bit of kink is about every bit of sex. Nothing wrong with that. It's great that when people are able to absolutely uh, enjoy themselves in that way. But the thing that I've noticed about kink and it's become more and more apparent is it's really about that compassion and love and giving people a safe space to process the pain and be able to understand themselves better through the receiving of that pain. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel like compassion, communication, love, care, all of those have such a place in kink and BDSM. I think that doms are wonderful spiritual guides and help subs and bottoms move through a lot of challenging emotions and have that cathartic release. Uh, and I would say that the more edgy the play, the more care and compassion is at play within the dom and within that that interaction. I think that there's people who like heavy degradation and and humiliation and and some of that. And that's for me is edgy play. And that takes a lot of understanding and care and observation of someone, you know, what are their buttons? How can I push them? How can I motivate them? What's too far? Maybe I should stop now. And, and so having that internal set of breaks to know what might be too edgy or too far uh, is definitely care at work and compassion at work. Uh, with very intense sadistic play, there's that same sort of care and attention. You know, I'm not just whipping people blindly. It's very much a precision exercise. I'm, I'm practicing, I'm testing, I'm going soft at first, I'm building intensity. You know, I want the scene to last. I want to bring my sub or my bottom to an amazing place. I want to maybe push them a little bit, but I'm doing that with a lot of control. So I think that's definitely uh, how care and compassion um, can come into effect. I think this whole, you know, learning submissives is one of the most intriguing things for me. I really enjoy people. I want to know how they tick. I want to know how they tick so I can manipulate them <laughs> and get what I want out of the relationship to a certain extent and also bring them to a place where they need to go uh, and help to guide them through certain things. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot of intention to observe people, to communicate clearly, understand their boundaries, and then uh, tap dance around them. My addiction to kink is the addiction of being in a moment. I love being focused into one thing and one thing only where I don't have a choice to think about anything else. You also perform in another realm where that being in the moment is a very crucial thing. And that is you're also a circus performer. I am. I am a circus performer. Discuss 
what it's like to be up in silks or up in the air and the free flowing feeling that you must have, but the concentration that it takes. Yeah, I love what you said about being lost in the moment and consumed by the moment and present and mindful in these moments. And I think the same reason that I love play and BDSM play is the same reason I, I love circus because it commands my attention and there's no distractions. I think in circus, you're very much consumed by not dying, A, eh? <laughs> uh, trying to stay safe. These are risky activities. You're definitely doing things high in the air. Um, so there's that mindfulness about preserving your own safety. And then there's this mindfulness of movement where, you know, you're either being coached through a move or you're doing something that you know well, and you're thinking about every element. Am I pointing my toes? What is my face doing? Am I breathing? You know, so there's the, it's an all consuming activity where you don't have time to stress or worry. You're just really focusing on what's happening in the moment. So I often joke that circus is my mistress and <laughs> this is the thing that keeps me focused and whips me into shape and, and motivates me and makes me feel stronger. So I really love to get over there as much as I can uh, and do that uh, self-care. When you go back to your childhood and go through the journey of where you are now, is this exactly where you wanted to be? Wow. So I tend to be a person that is really hard on myself. I set a lot of goals for myself and then I'm fairly relentless until I achieve them. So I feel like when I was a child, there are some things that I envisioned that I definitely have realized and come true. I always knew that I was a bit different and very much a nonconformist. I think I was always attracted to dark and um, spooky and alternative things and lifestyles. Uh, I had some parents that are amazing and very supportive of me and have always said, whatever makes you happy, you know, whoever you want to love and however you want to love. And if you want to wear the rubber, that's fine. My, my mother actually recently sent me uh, the Sam Smith video, the mm -hmm. unholy video. <laughs> so she texted it to me and she's like, oh boy, have you seen this? And it's all like famous burlesque um people and like violet tchotchkes in it and there's trans people and there's latex people and there's circus people and there's corsets and demons and so my mom definitely knew that this was something that I would be into and I think it's really cute that she shared it so having that unwavering foundation of love and support from my family has really allowed me to go out and explore and do what makes me happy uh, I think that I didn't think that the world would be such a dumpster fire and that it would be so hard to exist uh, and achieve some goals. Um, one of the things that is on my to-do list is I really want to buy a house. Uh, I've been renting uh, for a while and traveling and buying tons of latex. So now uh, I'm kind of leaning into sessions a little bit more so I can save a lot of money uh, and buy a house for me and my dog uh, somewhere in the suburbs where you'd never think that there was a, a dungeon in the basement, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The kinky American dream. <laughs> real. White picket fence, dungeon in the basement. Miss Vivian Darkbloom, what a pleasure it has been having you on the show. I wish you the best of luck in everything that you do. I love following your Instagram and seeing all the different costumes and, and personas that you come up with. I hope we get a chance to meet at some point because it would be just lovely to get to see you in person. And I thank you so much for giving me the honor of speaking with you today. 
This was so much fun. Thank you for everything that you're doing for the community. I love listening to your podcast and hearing from all my wonderful friends and friends that I have not yet made. So you keep up the good work, okay? Will do. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thank you. What a wonderful human Miss Vivian Dark Bloom is. I love all her content on Instagram. She makes me smile when I see the different outfits that she puts together. And her education is just so powerful as well. And those folks next weekend at Tether Together who will have the opportunity to take classes from her, that's a very lucky group. Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. When Lola Jean and Miss Shayla get together, you know you're in for an amazing time. And the women behind Seven Days of Domination are our guests on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, special thanks to Miss Vivian Darkbloom for joining us from Boston today. And thank you to all of you. It is always great to hear feedback from the show, and I'd love to hear what you think about our show. You can always send us a DM on Instagram or on Twitter. Or if you want to reach me personally, I'm on all the socials as at Hi There Catsuit. I'd love to hear from you. And that will do it for this edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. I am John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1. On Instagram at What Women Want Podcast. For our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now, select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash dating kinky. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. 